Mothers, I hope you enjoyed your breakfast in bed this morning. Trust that may have come your way or some other little delight like that. I remember trying to do that for my own mom and often creating more work for her than uh, helping her. But uh, I, I have a sneaky suspicion that if I really did what my mom wanted, it had been a lot more work uh, to do whatever that was than to make breakfast in bed for her. Uh, and uh, what we want to talk about this morning is what it is that's pleasing to a mother, to a family. I want to preach to you from Second John this morning. Uh, <clears throat> normally we would be in Genesis, but uh, did not think that the Tower of Babel would work too well on Mother's Day uh, to have a hard connection there. So instead I'm, I'm turning to the book of Second John. I'm fighting rumors that I cannot do a book of the Bible less than two years. So uh, I prove my point. We're going to do one book of the Bible and one morning. Uh, we're going to take care of this morning. It just so happens to be almost the shortest book in the Bible. Uh, it's uh, only uh, third John is shorter. It has 245 words in the book of second John. So we're going we're gonna to do the whole book this morning, all right, all 13 verses. And uh, we're going to apply it to the mothers uh, of our church family as well to our church family. And so this book is written somewhere between 80 to 90 A.D. by uh, many believe to be John, uh, the apostle, and uh, written from Ephesus, probably. And so this is could possibly, second, third John, could possibly be the last books recorded in the New Testament. And so it's good to hear and to read what are the last words, so to speak, of the New Testament as it was recorded. So let's stand as we read this together in honor of what we read. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he that both hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds." Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. You may be seated. As you might have noted, the book's theme is truth and love. You find truth and love repeated over and over in this passage. And so it's good to look at this, especially as we consider the day and age that we live in, Truth has taken a hard hit. It's often referred to as relative at best. And in fact, most of our college students would uh, have consensus that truth 
is relative. In fact, only 4% of Americans have what we call a basic biblical worldview. In other words, they interpret the decisions, or look at decisions, interpret the events of this day through the lens of what the truth is found in the Bible. Uh, so only 4% of Americans have that. Only 9% of those who say they've been born again have a biblical worldview, while 2% for teenagers believe in a biblical worldview. This according to the uh, George Barna report. So there is a, a vast absence of folks looking at circumstances and events and comparing it to truth as found in the Word of God. So it is important, perhaps, that we look at this. And so let's just start with the first verse. We have there that is written from the one called the elder. Uh, there is no name given, but it is fitting the same style as First John, Third John, and for that matter, the Gospel of John. And it is like John to not give himself a title, uh, he, or to give himself a name. He often referred to himself as one who loved or whom Jesus loved, never actually mentioning his name. And so in this case, he uses the word elder, which most times has a pastoral office about it. But in this case, it seems to have a little bit more of not just being the pastor, because he's not the pastor of this church, but being the elder, as in, I'm the old man. And as such, he would have been an old man. This, remember, is 60 years after the event of Jesus dying on the cross, putting him... Well, maybe into his 80s, depending on if he was a teenager or not when he was following Jesus Christ as a disciple. So he could have very well called himself the old man. And he writes this to the elect lady and her children. Now, there are several theories as to who this letter is written to. Uh, One theory is that, hey, this is a specific lady that John has in mind. And he's referring to her and to her children. Another theory, uh, which I think is probably a better one, is that this is referring to a local church and giving this local church the metaphor of a lady, a mother, and to her children referring to the members of this church. But it's uh, no clear consensus on this. So for our practical purposes, if you allow me, let me just make this letter to the mothers and their children and our church. Okay. So what does John have to say? to mothers and their children, or to a church such as ours. Well, he says, verse 1, first of all, he says, I love you. I love you in truth. Uh, Another way of saying in truth is, in John's mind, in Christ, because he equates truth with Christ. Remember John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is referring to himself. John records that. And so in John's mind, he records or he reviews truth as Jesus himself. And so he says, I love this lady or I love this church, their children, and I love them in truth. And then he says, not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. In other words, if you know the truth, if you know Jesus, then you're going to love this lady, you're going to love this, her children, or you're going to love this church. Okay. Now, I think there's something uh, significant in that. A lot of times folks will come up to me and say, you know what, I, I'm a believer, I, I follow Jesus, I, and I like to worship Jesus. And I kind of do my own worship here in my house, or you know, I've, I've got my own thing going on. I just don't like organized religion. I do not like the institutional church. Uh, and I know, I, I kind of get what they're saying. They don't like all the trappings and all the problems that often come with people. Uh, but the thing is, 
that when you love Jesus Christ, it is such as, as what we read in the Bible that it's not just a mystical, personal experience that you have in the, in the quietness of your room. That the relationship with God is such that it impacts not just the quiet times in your room, but it impacts the everyday of dealing with people. And so God has people come together who love them, who love him, who will love each other. Because they love Jesus Christ. Because they love truth. And so like, like John is saying, you know what? I love truth. I know truth. Therefore, I love this church. I love the ones who follow after Jesus Christ. Friends, let me just state that there is huge inconsistency to say that I love Jesus Christ, but I do not love the church. Do you know that Jesus calls the church his bride? What if I said to you, I really like you. I like hanging out with you. But your wife's got to go. That wouldn't work, would it? You'd tell me, well, you've got to go. You know, I made a choice. Yeah, I'm choose my wife. Well, Jesus calls the church his bride. Do you not see, see that we are saying the same thing to him? Well, Jesus also calls the church his body. What if I said to you, I love your personality. You're just so sweet. But your body repulses me. You know, would we be able to get along Jesus is saying that the church is his body. Sometimes the body looks better than others. You know, sometimes it's more reflective of Jesus Christ than other times. But nonetheless, he calls us and he tells us when we love Jesus, we love his truth, we love his church. He says specifically, I love this lady and her children, referring to a specific person, are a church. Either way, it applies the same. When Jesus is in your life, there should be a love, a desire for God's people. Now, let me just state, loving is not the same thing as liking. Did you know you can love someone and not like them? Mothers, you understand that, right? There's been many days when you may not have liked your children, but you still love them. I hadn't even talked about the spouse relationship yet. But, you know, the same idea is that when you call or call to a church, you love the church. That means there will be days and times you may not like everybody in them, but you make a commitment to love them. And so John 2 is stating uh, that, you know what, this church or this person, I love them because I have known the truth. And look, verse 2, not only do I know the truth, but truth is more than just some data it's actually a person. You notice how he says this in verse 2. Because of the truth which abides in us will be with us forever. First John 5, 6 says, And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. What he's saying is that Jesus is truth. The Spirit is truth. The Spirit of God abides in you. When you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the Spirit of God that becomes a part of who you are. And as such, he can say to you, if you know Jesus as your Savior, truth abides in you. Truth abides in you because the Spirit of God abides in you. And so every once in a while, when you come across a difficult person, you say, you know what, God, you want me to love people, but they're so irritating. How can I love them? Here's the beautiful thing. The Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. We say, you know what, God, I don't have it as a part of my own resources to love this person, but The Bible says the Spirit has been given to me. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, love. And so God, 
Help me to love this person. And it's amazing how God will help you do that. And then you start acting like you love them. It's amazing how God will work in your heart to do that. And so, well, let's keep on going. We've got several verses to go. But he says, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Now, we come to verse 3. And we come to the first of two admonitions that John gives to this family, to this church. All right? What are, what's the first one? The first admonition, what would please a family? What would please a mother? What would please John in this case? Well, verse 3. We, we come from verse 3 to verse 6 and summed up as this. Walk in truth and love. Walk in truth and love. He says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. This was a common greeting that you often see in the epistles. Grace, grace is God's unmerited favor given to you, which you don't, you don't deserve it. Mercy, mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Not giving you what you deserve. And then peace is a kind of a Jewish idea of a completeness, a wholeness about you. Because you have been given mercy, God did not give to you what you deserve, and he's given you grace. He's given you up above, beyond what you did not deserve. What do I mean? Friends, I deserve separation from God. I deserve condemnation because of my sin. God gave me mercy. He refrained, and then he gives, gives me grace, and he gives me the Spirit of God. He gives me forgiveness. Uh, he gives me a home in heaven. He makes me his son. That is grace, and because I have these things, I have a peace about me, a wholeness about me. These come from, notice verse 3, from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Again, you see that balance together, truth and love. You must always have these two together. You cannot separate truth and love. Truth will command us to love. And love apart from truth is just mere sentimentality. And so you have to have both of these together. And so verse 4, notice he says, I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in truth. I found some of your children walking in truth. And so we have this idea. First he commends them that he found some walking in truth. And then he implores them and beseeches them to continue to walk in truth and love. Yeah, did you ever have, when you left your phone home, maybe you're going off to school or maybe you're leaving your grandpa, grandparents' house, did they ever give you kind of like those one-word commands as you left? My, my grandparents, they would tell me to be smart. I was like, okay. <laughs> I, you know, I wasn't quite sure what all that meant, but I was like, I'll try. I'll try to be smart, you know. Uh, I'd leave my parents when I left off from school or uh, go out on a date or something. They'd say, be good. But, you know, they said in such a way that I knew it meant more than just be good or have a good day. I said, be good. In other words, Jared, you know what's right to do. Do those things. Do those things that are good. And so they, they had these one-word uh, commands or these, these little short sentence commands. Well, it's kind of like you have this in John. He says, walk in truth. I thank God that I just happened to come across some of your children and I found them walking in truth. Children, you know what would make your mother happy? Walk in truth. All right, what does that mean? Walk in Jesus Christ. Walk in who he is. Uh, he says, found them. It's, it's like he kind of came across them. And, and they didn't know that anybody was studying them or anybody was watching them. But yet John found them walking in truth. That's the idea, is that we are just doing it all the time, walking in truth. And so we're found that way. Now, what does that mean to walk in truth? Well, uh, it's to walk in the sphere of Jesus Christ, to be following him and his life, all right? 
uh, I remember growing up, we had this kind of a, a U-circle driveway, and we were up on Litchard Road. Uh, that's where I, I grew up, and Litchard Road was not nearly as busy then uh, as it is now. But my, you know, I had this fear where I could ride my bike. It was just in the driveway, you know. They didn't let me go out in the road. I just had to go back and forth, back and forth. And, of course, consequently, I built ramps and all these other things to make it more interesting. But as I would get to the edge, every once in a while, I was like, you know, I just want to try that road, you know. And I'd kind of get up just barely on the shoulder. You know, I was like, ooh, that's smooth, you know. I'm on the gravel. And then I just, you know, nothing, nothing happened. And so I get a little bit further out, a little bit further out. Before long, I'm doing circles on Litcher Road, you know, and, and mom finally looks out the window. She finds me walking out of, or driving out of the driveway. And so, of course, I, you know, she let me have it. She said, no, you can't do that. Well, the idea here is that, that John is seeking, looking for folks who are walking in truth, who are in the sphere of truth, who are following Jesus Christ. Are you found, if someone could just get a snap of a snapshot of your day, will they find you in Jesus Christ? Are you following him? Loving him. And so that's the idea. John says, you know, I found some of these, your children walking truth, and I got joy out of this. Walking truth as we receive commandment from the Father. Notice the truth comes through a command from the Father. Isn't that interesting? What's your source of truth? How do you know right from wrong? How do you decide anything about your life? There are four main options that you can do to do this. One is by reason. Well, if I can't figure it out, if I can't reason it out, if I can't think it out, then it's not true. And then the other way is by experience, observation. Uh, if I, you know, if I, I got to feel it, I got to experience, I got to know, I got to learn these things that are good and bad. And the other one is by tradition, where we say, well, you know, that's what's always been done. I just do this because it's always been done. The problem with all three of those methods is that I haven't lived long enough. I hadn't thought enough. I haven't had enough tradition to be able to tell me, to dictate, to, to give me some kind of, of, of map to know what's going to happen to me after I die. I can't think enough, I can't observe enough to, for me to figure out who God is and how to get to know Him. It doesn't work for all that life is about. And so let me just present to you the fourth way of knowing anything from right and wrong. And that is by revelation. Simply that you believe that God said something. Someone who was outside of this world stepped into this world to reveal something about this world so you know how to live in this world. That's what we mean by revelation. And so he says, this truth comes from the Father. And let's keep on reading. We see in verse 5, we see that truth is not just something to believe, but it's something to live. God's spoken, he's revealed truth, we believe it, that settles it. Then in verse 5, now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. Isn't that interesting? When you want to walk in truth, where does it lead you? It leads you to loving one another. He says, this is not a new command, I'm not giving you anything new. In fact, if we went all the way back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, it says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You go a few books later, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus comes upon the scene and he's asked of him by the scribes, what's the chief command? What's the one thing that we are striving to do? Well, he says in Mark chapter 12, 
Uh, after asked, asked this question, verse 29, he says, The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. The second, like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Well, Paul gets in on this act in Galatians. He says, chapter 5, verse 14, All the law is fulfilled in one word, and even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans chapter 13, he says the same thing. He says, you know what? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this, all the commandments are summed up. Love does no harm to neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. See, it's not complicated. It comes down to loving God, loving others. Sometimes when we get studying in scriptures and we'll, we'll do all the BSF and we'll do the Bethmore studies and we'll listen to me talk and think, man, that's confusing. And, and we're trying to figure out What's all this stuff about? When it comes down to it, it's really simple. You love God and you love others. Don't, you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist to figure that out. And so John is saying, you know what? Here's what I want for you. This is what I, I ask of you, mothers, children, church. Love others. Love one another. Verse 6. This is love. All right? All right. You're asking them to love. What, what is love? Well, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. That we walk according to his commandments. Would you have ever defined love that way? Well, that's what John does. His love is walking according to the commandments of God. How does that work? Well, remember who God is? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love. Therefore, his commandments are going to flow out of who he is. His commandments are there to produce love, to help you to love. All right? So to love is to obey the commandments of God. Let me just state this, young ladies. Some of you may not be married. If there's a guy that comes up to you and says, I love you, sweetheart. And they pledge their love to you in all many ways. And they try to get you to disobey God. That's not love. That's not love. That's just, hey, how can I persuade you to do what I want you to do? That's manipulation. The Bible says very clearly right here, this is love that we walk in his commands, according to his commandments. Just understand that. Dads, teach your daughters what love is. And teach them to understand that when a guy comes in and tries to get a girl to do things that they ought not to do, they understand the difference because they've seen it from you, that you love them and you look out for their best from them, and you teach them how to walk after the commandments of the Lord. This is love. Anything else is probably just manipulation and selfishness. This is the commandment that is, you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. All right. So he says, family, mother, and your children, walk in truth and in love. Be good, be smart, walk in truth, walk in love. And then we come to verse 7, and when we find out, he kind of he shifts gears a little bit. He says, I want to give you something else. Not only should you walk in truth and love, watch out for truth. Watch out for the truth. Watch out for truth in others. Watch out for truth in yourself. Verse 7. 
For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. In that day and age, they had a group that was coming out, and they did not believe that the material world was good, it was rotten, and so they, had, they could not believe that Jesus came as a human. And they said, well, you know, Jesus didn't, he didn't come as flesh, because flesh is just, that's just, is bad. And so Jesus just appeared as a man. He didn't really come as a man. Now, the thing is, John knew that this was wrong. John had been there. He had seen and touched Jesus. He knew what he was like. And so he knew that this was heresy. And he says, you know, if they say these things, that, that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh, they are a deceiver and as such as an antichrist. To teach wrong things about Christ is to be against Christ, is what he's saying in this. And so watch out for this. And then in verse 8, not only do you watch out for it in others, look out for it in yourself. Verse 8, look to yourselves. That, that word look, it means watch out, be on guard. It, it's a strong warning. Don't be lulled into a spiritual stupor about some things. Why? Well, that you don't lose your reward. He says that we do not lose those things we work for, that we may receive a full reward. Let me ask you this question. How many lapses does it take for you no longer to be considered faithful? How many lapses does it take for you to no longer to be considered faithful. Maybe one or two laps mistake. You know, are you still faithful then? It kind of depends. You know, what if you said, well, you know, I paid 10 out of 12 mortgage bills. That ought to be good. I, mean, I did more than I didn't. <laughs> that doesn't work though, does it? What if your, your newspaper or your mail person said, you know, I'm just one day a week, I'm not going to do it, you know. That's, would you call them faithful? Or what if marrying someone, been married 35 years, but there was one day that you weren't faithful, you committed adultery? Would you be faithful? No. No. See, it's interesting. In things like love, faithfulness requires 100%. 99% doesn't work. You notice what he's saying here? He says, look to yourselves that you do not lose those things we work for. In other words, you have done so much, don't lose it now. Stay faithful to what God's called you to do. Walk in truth and love. Do not be confused or deceived by those who teach other things about Jesus Christ, that you may receive a full reward. Now, what does that mean, receive a full reward? There's two possible uh, explanations. One is a loss of reward in the context of service such as 1 Corinthians 3, where he tells us that there will be a judgment according to our, our service, our works that we've done. Or it could possibly mean a loss of salvation uh, that may entail. Now, I would just bring to your mind something that John said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. And that passage, 1 John 2, 19, he equates perseverance as the proof of your following Jesus Christ. It says, if you do not persevere, then that is evidence that in your heart you did not follow Jesus Christ. And so knowing that that's John's view of things, it seems likely in verse 8 that he could be talking about your salvation in this regard. Vance Habner says this, said this, a faith that fizzles before the finish was faulting from the first. A faith that fizzles before the finish was faulting from the first. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul has said this, Examine yourself as to whether you're in the faith. Test 
yourselves. There needs to be a continually asking of our, our heart, of ourselves. Am I following Jesus? Do I believe and do I trust that Jesus Christ came from God, is God in flesh, died on the cross for my sins, rose again on the third day, and I trust wholly in that for my salvation. We have to ask ourselves that continually, and we have to ask ourselves, am I following Jesus? One of the evidences of your salvation is that you will continue to the end. There's a, there's a kind of a tension here. Those who have been born from above by God through faith in Christ, it is certain that you will persevere. But it is also essential that you do persevere as well. Now we come to verse 9. Whoever transgresses or runs ahead does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, does not have God. Uh, the, the, the idea is that you've gone ab- above and beyond Jesus Christ. You need to know, you cannot approve upon Jesus Christ. He is the gemstone of eternity. It is in him that we have all of the riches of heaven. We cannot approve upon Jesus Christ. I cannot add to what Jesus did on the cross. He says, but there are those who are trying to add to what Jesus did. And if they do, they're not abiding in the teachings of Christ. Therefore, they do not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. In other words, Jesus is saying is in me, in relationship with me, not only do you have a relationship with me, you have a relationship with God the Father. In me is everything. That's what Christ is saying. Apart from me, there is nothing. That's why Jesus can rightfully say, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but through me. See, the thing is, there's no one else vouching for you. You think, well, you know, you kind of get narrower here, Pastor. You're starting talking about Jesus Christ is the only way. Listen, Jesus Christ is the only one who's spoken up for you and saying that I will take care of your sins. There is no other name under heaven whereby you can be saved. There's no one speaking up for you other than Jesus Christ. And so when you go above and beyond Jesus Christ, you, you lose it all. Danny Aiken has made a kind of interesting uh, analogy of calling the mathematics of the cults. Addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. He says, look at these things and... You can discern what a cult is. Addition. A cult will add an extra biblical source of authority. In other words, the Bible's not enough. There's another prophet. There's another pen. There's another professor. There's some other source that you must count on to find out what God says. Then there's subtraction. They subtract from the personal work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They deny his deity. They find inadequate his work on the cross. And so you have to add to that somehow because Jesus is not enough. Then there's the division. They divide our allegiance from God through Christ alone to others. And then there's the multiplication. They multiply requirements for salvation. And they advocate, and all cults advocate some form of work salvation. You've got to do more. Always got to do more in hopes that perhaps maybe you can have a relationship with God. Now in verse 10, he gives us a word of warning on how to deal with this. So if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds, or wish them Godspeed. Now, let me just kind of give some clarity in this. In that day and time, teachers would go travel about, and they were dependent on uh, the hospitality of the people that lived there to take care of them, to feed them. And, and such, when you brought someone into your house in that way, you were endorsing them, you were enabling them. And you're putting your stamp of approval on their message. So John is saying, don't do that to people who teach something other than Jesus Christ. Don't endorse them. 
don't send your money to them. Don't enable them uh, to teach, continue what they're teaching. And so I would just be careful to say that it's not that we, he's telling us never to talk to them, okay? But instead that we should not enable them. So let me just give you some words of instruction in case someone comes knocking on your door. Um, we were this past week at IHOP, and we were eating, and there's a whole table of, uh, of, of uh, Mormon missionaries there, and they're mapping out and figuring out what they're going to do. You know, I thought, they're here. I see them uh, all the time, continually, uh, in this neighborhood. And let me just ask you, how many of you have ever had someone knocking on your door, Job's Witness or Mormons or someone like that, and, and wanting to share what they had with you? Just raise your hand so we can look around and see. You see, man, they do, they do a good job. They have visited my entire church. Uh, Right here. Well, let me just, I've had some experience with this, and I just want to kind of teach you some things from my own mistakes. Um, before I got married, we, li- we lived with some guys. Uh, three of us were uh, going to be pastors one day, and uh, then we had an unbeliever with us. That was kind of interesting. But we all lived together, and uh, we had two uh, Jehovah's Witnesses come and uh, visit the apartments, the college apartments we were at. And they knew what they're doing because they sent two pretty girls uh, there, and uh, they come knocking on the door, and we're like, yeah, come on in. <laughs> you know, we'd like to talk. We'll, we'll sit down and talk with you, you know. And so we talked with them, and it was about 30, 40 minutes. Uh, well, you know, a good bit of time. And they said, well, you know, we'd like to come back again sometime. We're like, all right, that's good. You know, we're all excited. Like, man, we're going we're gonna to help them become Christians, and this is going to be great. You know, they're beautiful. You know? And they come back, and, and this time it's one pretty girl and a guy. And so we start talking to them, you know, and and they spent about an hour, and they said, well, we'd like to talk to you again. Okay, we'll talk to you again. And then they come back, no girls, just two guys. <laughs> we were kind of bummed out about that. I'm like, man, you know. And so the conversation starts to get a little bit more heated. And uh, then they want to come back again. They come back again, and it's four times, about four hours, we stand, stand there talking. And by the end of it, we're mad at each other. And we're like, yeah, you just need to get out of our apartment. Something about that just kind of let me know that, you know, we may not have done the best job of presenting the gospel witness to them. Uh, so I don't want you to have to go through something like that. So let me just give you a, a strategy to help you in case they come knocking on your doors. First, be kind, be gracious, smile at them. Remember, these are people who Jesus died for. The people there on your door that you come across, they're not the enemy. The Bible says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and darkness, uh, powers from darkness of high places. In other words, it is the spiritual force behind who they are that's the real enemy. I had to remind myself of this. Um, the other day I was driving down Buffalo. I shared this with our Wednesday night group. Driving down Buffalo, going across 540, I saw two missionaries on their bicycles, and I just had to pass the thought, you know, really ungodly moment, just maybe I should just, you know, and run them off the road. And I was like, no. I remember this verse came to my mind. They're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. The Lord, Lord has an enemy. It's Satan. They're not it. Jesus died for them. So remember, be kind. Be gracious to them. If it's convenient or appropriate, let them talk. Have a visit, but under some conditions. If you're a lady and there's two guys there, that's not appropriate. All right? Just don't, you don't, you don't need to have that happen. Um, and consequently, if you're a guy and there's two girls come, you know, probably don't need to do that either. Um, so, if it's appropriate, if it's convenient. But, let them come in under some conditions. Establish some ground rules. Tell them this. 
I'm going to allow you to have 15 minutes to share uninterrupted. I'm not going to interrupt you. In 15 minutes, I want you to share with me what you want me to know, how to know God, how to get to heaven, what's your idea of being saved. Just go ahead and share with me in 15 minutes. I'm not going to interrupt you, all right? And then tell them time's up when 15 minutes come. You know, you can do this. This is your house. You set the rules. They may not like it, but it's your house. If they don't want to follow the rules, they don't have to be in your house, okay? But when 15 minutes is up, tell them it's up. Say, okay, I'll let you have that time. I want to share for 15 minutes, and I do not want you to interrupt me. Let me just share. And you share your testimony. You share how you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You present the gospel to them. Let them know how you have assurance that you know where you're going to go when you die because of what Jesus Christ has done for them, for you, and for them. They can operate that way as much, and you don't have to defend yourself. There are attacks. You just present the testimony, your testimony, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then after that time is up, say, look, you know what? I want to pray. Don't let them pray. You pray. I'm not counting on their prayers. You pray and say, God... Open up our eyes so that we may know the truth and help them to know who you are. Thank them for coming and say have a good day. 30 minutes at the most, not four hours. All right? Um, This is just some things to instruct you in this. And if you're talking with Jehovah's Witness, let them know. Hey, you know what? I believe that the Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. Let them understand the difference between you and them as you share the gospel. Now, let's go in verse 12. He says, I have many things to write to you. I did not wish to do so with papering. In other words, there's some things I just need to talk to you about. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Let me ask you, does being with God's people produce joy in your life? It does with John. Why? Because the Spirit of God abides in his heart. He likes to be with people who worship God. And his joy is full when he does so. And then he says, the children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. This is perhaps one of the reasons why we think that it's a church, not a specific person, because he does not refer to the elect sister, but the children of the sister that greets them. And then he closes the book, and that's it. Mothers, children, walk in truth and love. Watch out for the truth. Watch out for the truth in others. Watch out for the truth in yourself. What do I mean? Look for Jesus Christ. Look for him. Children, you want to make your brothers happy? Walk in truth. Walk in Jesus Christ. Walk in love. Love your brother. Love your sister. Love others that you come across. Let your mothers find you walking in truth and in love. Mothers, you teach your children how to do it. Church, same goes for us all together. It was about nine years ago, I had... Went over across the way here to Wellington. There, my grandmother was there. Had no idea that one day I'd live in this area. She was not doing well. She had had a form of cancer several years prior to that. They did not give her much time to live, but she lived many years anyway. But there, she had congested heart failure. And it looked like her body was just not going to recover. And it was deteriorating. We'd visit her often there. One time I went with my wife and I, and I just got the sense that this was it. She could still talk to me, in a good mind, and she grabbed my hand. She said, Jared, 
preach the Bible. Always preach the Bible. And I knew that this was coming from someone who prayed for me every day of my life. Her and granddad would get together in the morning, have devotions, and pray for every single one of the families. And the strongest prayer, though, the most constant prayer is that we would know the will of God and do the will of God. I knew this was someone who taught the Bible herself. And I got the sense that that was it. And it was. I walked out of there knowing that was probably the last time my grandmother would ever speak to me. And I sobbed. I just sobbed. But you know what I'll never forget? The admonition she gave me. It was as if she was saying, Jared, walk in truth and love. Watch out for the truth. Watch out for it in your own life. Watch out for it in others. And that is why... Part of the reason why I'm here still and I preach the Bible. Because every time I come up here, I have the echo of a grandmother's dying command. Preach the Bible. Mothers, you make a difference. You do it by your lifestyle. You do it by your prayers. You do it by your admonitions. And you tell your children, child, walk in truth, walk in love, walk in Jesus Christ, and watch out for the truth. Do not be deceived. Stay strong to the end of your days. Live for Jesus Christ. That is the prayer, the command of John to a mother and her children. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that in this day and age, when you have to love the truth to be able to know the truth, that you have proclaimed yourself. Through Jesus Christ. That when anybody wanted to know what God the Father was like, all we had to do was look to your Son. That anyone wanted to know the way to you, they just needed to know your Son. If anyone wanted to know what life is, they just need to know your Son. If anyone wants to know what truth is, they just know your Son. But Lord, help us not just to know the Son, but to live following your Son, Jesus Christ. And so that we are walking in your love, walking in your truth. And so consequently, we love being with those who love you. And we want to live it out. Lord, help us to take care and use our brains so that we can watch out for the truth. To protect the character and the person of Jesus Christ in this day and age. Lord, we do thank you for mothers who gave us this truth. Lord, help us to be mothers and fathers who would still pass on these words to those who come after us. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. This time I want to invite you, perhaps maybe to be a mother, to, to make a commitment to say, I want to be a mother who will, who will teach this. I invite you to make that commitment. Perhaps maybe I'm inviting you to be a part of this church family. It's not like a family. It is a family. And you're not a part of one, you want to be a part of one. I invite you now to do that. Let's stand as we sing together.
may be seated. At this time, we are going to ask our ushers to come forward. We'd like to receive those care cards that you filled out earlier in the day. And uh, this is, if you're our guest, we'd love to have a record of your, your time with us. We're going to pray for you. We want to minister to you. If you have a prayer request, we also want to minister to you as well as we'll be doing that this Thursday. This time, John, if you'll just share with us. Okay, all right. I just want to remind all of our orchestra members and uh, adoration members that you're to spend time with your family this afternoon, with your mom, so we will not have those two rehearsals this afternoon. I believe handbells are not going to be rehearsing music. Okay, thank you. Well, happy Mother's Day. I'll do a few announcements for you. I wanted you guys to see these. These are the care cards from just this past week, and I just wanted you to have a look. What all goes into this? These are prayer requests, people that need Jesus. And so it's very important that we make care a priority, isn't it, church? That we really make sure that we're there uh, and that we are ministering uh, to this community. A couple of announcements. Faith Girls uh, will be holding a tea party next Saturday at 11 a.m. I'm assuming that's not a gallon of Bojangles and biscuits, but, you know, I'm a guy and that's my idea of a tea party is a gallon of Bojangles. It's for uh, our young faith girls and their mothers next Saturday at 11 a.m. They will also be hosting a tea party for single senior women in the church next Sunday following the second service. Uh, Mothers, today when you leave, uh, you're going to receive a flower, just an honor. We want to honor you today. Uh, Also, you'll see when you walk out there a table for VBS. I just signed up uh, and put my name down on that. If you would go and do that today, we still need volunteers Uh, to help teach these young children uh, for Vacation Bible School. Also, this Wednesday night, uh, we will be having a parent night uh, in the youth group. That means that if you are here and you're a parent and you have a a son or daughter in middle or high school, we would love to have you come to that. We're going to be meeting in the fellowship hall right over here. At 6.15, we'll have uh, coffee and desserts and just talk about the youth ministry and preview this summer and and things like that. Uh, Also... Uh, there was a date scheduled for this coming Saturday for the youth ministry to go to the factory. That has been canceled due to a scheduling conflict. Uh, and finally, uh, we have a care banquet May 18th. Uh, and that is for, um, if you have been involved with care, we would love to just uh, come together and, and spend some time fellowshipping. And Sam Parker said he'd skin me if I didn't announce uh, Brotherhood. Uh, Brotherhood is a men's supper. It will be meeting Tuesday, May 20th at 6.30 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. And so if you're uh, a real man, you'll be there. Um, That one was for free. Wonderful. Great. And now I think we're going to have a time to have child dedication. Sam, you had me at stake. All right. This, uh, this morning we have a special time to uh, recognize some of the babies in our, our church family. In fact, if you'll look in your bulletin and you'll get out a small piece of paper that looks something like this. Inside you'll find the most adorable pictures you'll ever see. It makes you want to go home and pinch some cheeks there. Seeing all those cheeks, chubby cheeks there. This is a a prayer card for you. You'll note on one side, uh, there is a specific name 
and baby address that's given for you. We want you to take this card home and remind yourselves to pray for this specific person, okay? This is a, a baby dedication that we do. It's, it's a partnership between the church and the parents. And so this is one way that we want you to do this is to be praying for these specific families that are in our church family. Um, and uh, take this home, put it on your table where you can remember to pray. Now this morning we had uh, in the first service Isabella Marie Ensley, Lila Fe- or, uh, Raleigh Charlene Holt, and Evan Shannon Scott that was uh, dedicated there in the families. And so we have this morning uh, Lila Faith Elmore, and then we have Ashlyn Gale Warren, and Grady Allen Moreau Williamson. I'm going to ask uh, that they would come on up. Ashlyn, if you'll bring your family up, and Lila, bring yours, and uh, Grady, bring your, your family up. When we do a baby dedication, we're acknowledging several aspects. We're acknowledging first that these babies are a gift from God. They're, they're God-designed, God-made, and under the control of God. If y'all come on up to the stage so folks can uh, see you clearly up here. Big mouth, okay. <laughs> yeah, that soon develops, doesn't it? The other thing that we're acknowledging here is that the parents are giving themselves uh, for purpose of raising their child in a way that's pleasing the Lord. And so they're, they're just making a public commitment before you, the church, and they're asking you, hold them accountable to these things. That's why they're making it public, that they want to raise their children up in not just any way, but in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And then the third thing that we're doing is that we as a church are making a commitment to them. That we are going to do our part in providing an atmosphere for them to grow spiritually uh, as well. Be clear, this, what we do here, has nothing to do with the salvation of this child. We're just committing ourselves to raising them up a certain way. This is not something commanded in the scripture, but it's a good thing to do still. And so these parents are coming forward and and wishing to make a statement, a commitment between you and the church. We're making it with them. So consequently, this is something we do with our church members. And so uh, we've got a good group here behind us. And uh, we're going to have a commitment first to the parents. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to read a commitment uh, to you. And if you would signify that this is your commitment, if you would say so at the end by saying we do. okay. And then after that, the church... I'm going to read a charge to you, and uh, you'll signify your commitment to that by standing. And then we're going to have a prayer together, uh, giving these children over to the Lord. Parents, in presenting your child to the Lord, do you promise in dependence upon God's grace, upon the partnership of this church, to teach him or her the truths of the Christian faith, you as parents and brothers and sisters, set a Christian example before them, That you're going to remain faithful to each other in marriage without divorce. To bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. To encourage them to accept Christ as their Savior under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Signify that by saying we do. In church, do you as members of the church promise to join these parents in the teaching and training of this child that he or she may be led in due time? to trust Christ as their Savior, to confess them in baptism and church membership. If you accept this responsibility, will you indicate it by standing? It's time we'll have a prayer. 
Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of these children. Knowing that you knew them before we, them, we knew them. Even while in their mother's womb, you created them and knew the number of their days, having written them all in your book. And Lord, they are fearfully and wonderfully made. We praise you for that. And Lord, just as they were given to us as a gift, we understand that they ultimately do belong to you. You're in control of the time and the wind of all of their life. Help us as parents to be committed as being good examples, walking in truth and love before them, teaching them in truth, teaching them in love. Lord, help us as a church to come along them and do the same, that when they come here, they know that this is a place that loves them, that when they come here, that they know this is a place that will teach them the truth. And Lord, we pray that one day they would know you as Savior and Lord, that they would be followers for you, that they would be missionaries and pastors, and Lord, preachers, those who would proclaim your truth in whatever walk of life they choose. Thank you for them. We pray this in your name. Amen.